Today from the Global Lane, a much bigger Middle East war ahead, American troops under attack by Iranian-backed militias. I think that it's not really acceptable that United States forces should be be facing daily harassment. These are military acts, these are acts of war. Michael Reagan shares fond memories of his favorite veteran for Veterans Day. This is the man who wanted to be in the Army so badly that he went out and he memorized all the eye charts because he was legally blind without his glasses. Came out of nowhere and, you know, ended up becoming president of the United States of America. America's broken health care system and child health. The most underreported story of a generation is how sick our children are. More than half of all children have a chronic disease. And remembering those who fought to keep us free. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Israel and the United States under threat. Maybe not directly from Iran, but indirectly through Iranian proxies. Islamic militias doing battle and waging war. Joining us to provide some insights from Jerusalem is Jonathan Spire. He's research director at the Middle East Forum. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. So we know that Iran has supported and encouraged Hamas to enter this fight against Israel, but... How about its proxy in Lebanon? Is Hezbollah about to jump in? Yeah, Gary. Well, Hezbollah in Lebanon has already been active. There's a kind of low-intensity conflict already underway between Hezbollah in Lebanon and uh, the Israel Defense Forces. There's been over 50 Hezbollah men killed by Israel uh, in the exchanges of fire since October 7th, and a number of Israeli soldiers have been killed too. Hezbollah is launching anti-tank missiles, Israeli uh, communities, rockets also, drones also. So there's a low-intensity fight going on. But I would say that Iran has yet to uh, to uh, instruct Hezbollah to really plunge into total involvement in the war and open a second front. They're trying to kind of distract attention uh, from Israel with this drip of uh, consistent uh, attacks each day. Well, why are they hesitating to jump in all the way? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think the main one, and one of them may well be the presence of uh, the USS Gerald Ford in the Mediterranean and the possibility that, you know, if uh, Hezbollah and Iran were to enter the war themselves, the United States might enter too. But I think a central uh, reason specifically regarding Lebanese Hezbollah is because, as Israel has made clear, if Hezbollah does enter uh, the war, uh, Israel will, uh, will, will hit back against Lebanon with full force. Lebanon is already a failed state. Hezbollah is the de facto controller of it. It looks like they don't particularly want that. Yeah, the Lebanese don't want that either. And it's not only Hezbollah. We've seen the Saudis, the United Arab Emirates, the United States shoot down missiles fired at Israel from the Houthi militia out of Yemen. So tell us more about the Houthis. Who are they and why are they firing missiles? Yeah, sure. So the Houthi militia, uh, Houthi is really a name of a tribe, which is the leadership of the militia. A guy called Abdul Malik al-Houthi is the commander of the militia. The militia is actually called Ansar Allah, the fighters of Allah, uh, in its its official name. Uh, It's a uh, militia, tribal Shia uh, militia of longstanding in Yemen. Unlike Lebanese Hezbollah, the Houthis, the Ansar Allah, is is not a creation of Iran. The Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Squad didn't set it up. It's a it's a local movement, the way that Hamas is among the Palestinians. But like Hamas, it depends on the Iranians for its military abilities, for its hardware, for its missiles, for its rockets, for its weaponry. And yes, the Houthis in Yemen are one of the uh, clients that the Iranians like to switch on and off when they want to attack 
an enemy country without being held directly responsible for it themselves. Famously, the Houthis were held responsible for a massive drone attack, for example, on uh, Saudi oil processing facilities back in September 2019. Now they're being held responsible for launching a medium-range ballistic missile on Israel, and just one of uh, I think four attacks that have taken place uh, since the war between Israel and Hamas began. But at the end of the day, we can say it's the Houthis, we can say it's Lebanese Hezbollah. At the end of the day, all of this traces back to Tehran and to the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps and to the Iranian uh, Islamist regime. Well, we've seen attacks against U.S. troops at bases in Syria and Iraq. So first tell us about yeah. these bases. Why are U.S. troops there and who's attacking them? Yeah, bases in Syria and Iraq. Uh, well, the United States uh, has presence, military presence in both countries uh, as part of, at least so it is uh, officially declared, as part of the ongoing uh, war against ISIS, against Islamic State. Uh, in reality, I think that there's an additional reason for it, which is that Iran and Russia, uh, Iran and Russia in the Syrian context, Iran in the Iraqi context, are trying to essentially take over the countries in question, and America considers it worthwhile to have uh, to be holding cards against that process, so to speak. Bases in Baghdad Airport, in Erbil uh, Airport, Ain al-Assad Air Base, Conoco in Syria, Tanif in Syria. These bases have all been under attack by the Iraqi Shia militias. I think over the last two weeks, the number I, I'm familiar with is 23 separate attacks have taken place on these facilities. Nobody's been killed yet. It is the Iraqi Shia militias which are carrying them out. The uh, official name of the group taking responsibility is the Islamic resistance in Iraq. But behind that, we think, is an organization called Qatayb Hezbollah, which again is the parallel in Iraq. There are many others in Iraq, but, but the main parallel in Iraq to Hezbollah in Lebanon or the Houthis in Yemen. That's to say, uh, an organization supported by, armed by, and to a great degree controlled by the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps. And it is this organization which is carrying out an ongoing campaign uh, of attacks against U.S. facilities, constant ongoing harassment of U.S. facilities in both uh, Iraq and in Syria. So, Jonathan, finally, will Iran back, uh, back off if the United States applies more pressure? Uh, what needs to be done to stop these proxy armies? My, my sense is that the United States does need to, to hit back, frankly. I mean, it's not, I'm not a U.S. citizen. It's just me giving my opinion from here in Israel. But, yeah, I think that it's not really feasible or tenable for America to continue kind of absorbing these hits. Of course, there, has, there have been American responses. But for my money, I would say, at least if America wants this to stop, then the United States should take a little bit firmer action against these militias. At the end of the day, you know, these are acts of, of these are military acts. These are acts of war. You know, even if they're not, uh, if nobody's yet been hurt or killed in them, thank goodness. So yes, I think that it's not really acceptable that United States forces should be placed, should be facing daily harassment. Essentially, it's part of the larger effort of Iran, also against Israel, an ally of the U.S., of course. And sure, it's time that it stopped. Okay, Jonathan Spire of the Middle East Forum in Jerusalem. Thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it, Jonathan. Thanks very much, Gary. Veterans Day 2023, it's a time to honor servicemen and women who are still with us. The number of those who served in World War II are dwindling. Now only slightly more than 100,000 of 16 million veterans from that war are still alive. Well, joining us to pay tribute to and recognize our veterans and to discuss how his organization is helping them is our friend Michael Reagan, son of America's 40th president and president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation. Michael, your dad was a World War II veteran, so was mine. So what set them apart from today's veterans? Anything? How, how were they any different? I don't think they were different at all. I mean, they, they saved the world. It's just you talk about my dad being a veteran. 
I mean, this is the man who wanted to be in the army so badly that he went out and he memorized all the eye charts because he was legally blind without his glasses. And so we went in for his eye exam to join the army. He had it memorized, and they would say, read line three, and he'd just say whatever line three was. And that's how he got in the army, ended up retiring as a captain uh, in the army, uh, came, out of, uh, came out of nowhere and, you know, ended up becoming president of the United States of America. But he honored those veterans from his era, especially at Normandy, France, back in 1984, when he was the first president to, in fact, speak at Normandy, France on D-Day. And every president, except for Biden, he's got another shot at, has spoken on D-Day at Normandy, France. We often talk about the negatives, Michael, but a lot of good things are happening as well. And I'm sure you've seen many positives from veterans that you've met. Tell us about some of them. Well, I mean, the veterans, when, I, when I've been to Normandy, France on D-Day, and I've been there a couple of times, to be able to talk to these people who never, they never patted themselves on the back. They always pointed someone else and, and always gave credit to others. And it, it went so far when they did that to be able to, to sit there, have them talk about others who were in the same, same boat as they were. The young man, young man who jumped out of a plane on D-Day morning, who had, you know, 97 years old, jumped out of a plane on D-Day a few years ago, tandem with another with another jumper and they asked him when he got to the ground how was that he said a lot better than last time they were shooting at me so you know they have a great sense of humor many of them uh they don't talk much about it but you know what they went through just going there and and so what i do through the Reagan legacy foundation i've done for years is a project i have at normandy france which is a hold right now because they're redoing it for the 80th anniversary of D-Day coming up next June. And so we're really concentrating right now on the kids that are serving at this point in time, uh, the next veterans, if you will, serving aboard the USS Ronald Reagan. And so we have a scholarship program we started years ago where we provide scholarships, not only the men and women who serve on the Reagan, but we provide scholarships to their family members at home who are trying to better their education and make their lives better at the same time. And we've been doing that for a few years. And not only the kids on the ship love it, but the family members, when they get a check from us, helping them with their, with their education, they're over the moon about it. So we're really promoting that right now. And you can go to ReaganLegacyFoundation.org. You can make a donation to us. Uh, and the money goes to USS Ronald Reagan Scholarship Fund. And it just really helps those kids who right now, the ship is stationed out of Tokyo, Japan. But when you hear about the 7th Fleet, the USS Ronald Reagan is the aircraft carrier in charge of the 7th Fleet. She's the one out there in the South China Sea. She's the one between China, North Korea, and Taiwan. And I'm sure you have some success stories from some of those scholarship uh, award winners. Uh, do you have one you'd like to share? Well, there was one a few years ago, and I love telling the story about the young man who came to the United States as a baby, came over the border with his parents illegally, came in the United States of America. And when he turned 18, he wanted to thank the country who allowed him to become a citizen. So he became a citizen of the United States. And what did he do? He joined the Navy. He wanted to fight for America. And when the USS Ronald Reagan was commissioned and christened back in early 2000s, he wanted to serve on the ship with the name of the president who allowed him to become a citizen of the United States. And so over the years on the USS Ronald Reagan, he would mentor up to 75 soldiers 
on that ship to make them better sailors, make them better people, and give them better education. And I think there was three or four years that we sent him checks because of what he was doing. And you never hear that story about that side of the issue. You hear about the illegals coming across the border, which is outrageous. But there are illegals who have come across the border who have served in the military and helped this country like this young man did. And you had mentioned the USS Ronald Reagan, and we know that the Eisenhower and the Gerald Ford are in the Middle East right now because of that war that's going on. A lot of war going on this Veterans Day. We're supporting the Ukrainians, the Israelis who are engaged in combat. How do you think your dad would have approached Israel's war with Hamas? Would he have been pushing for a pause or a ceasefire? And would he have handled Iran differently with its proxies who are targeting American servicemen? I, I think my dad learned a lesson back in the 1980s when that same group killed 243, you know, Marines uh, there in Beirut, Lebanon. John McCain told him, don't go in there, it'd be trouble. He didn't listen to John McCain. 243 Marines died. He never forgot that. Uh, no, he would handle this much differently. I think if he were president, you would not have what's going on in Ukraine today. If he were president, uh, there's a lot of things that would not be happening. America needs to be strong. And right now, America is not strong. And not only is America not strong, but you can't look around the world and see strength anywhere. There's no Lech Valencia, Vaca Havel, Helmut Kohl, Maggie Thatcher, Pope John Paul II. And that's what concerns me about what's going on in America today. But would he handle things differently? Absolutely he would handle things differently. And I think there's a lot of things that would not be happening if America were strong. But America is weak. Yeah, instead you've got Putin and Kim and the Ayatollah and Ooh. President Xi. Finally, you've told us in the past uh, that honoring veterans should not be just one day out of the year, but every day. So what's the best thing, Michael, we can do for our veterans? Honor them every day. When you see one, say thank you. When you see they wear, usually they wear caps, so you kind of know who it is and what have you. Thank them. But here's another way to thank those veterans of yesterday and the ones now who are retiring or moving from one position to another position. If you're flying on a plane, and you're in first class or business, you got a good seat, you see them come on in uniform, you know what you do? You get up, give them your seat, and sit wherever their seat was. Exchange seats with them and say thank you. You will not believe the applause you will get from everybody on the plane. It's a great way to easily honor a vet or someone who's serving today in the military and say thank you. Or maybe paying their dinner uh, when you see them at a restaurant. Pay it forward. Another okay. way to do it. Michael That's Reagan, we appreciate you. You're president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation. Thanks for taking the time to join us to honor our veterans on this Veterans Day. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you. ReaganLegacyFoundation.org. Inflationary pressures are not only causing problems at the gas pump and grocery store, but more Americans are feeling the pinch when it comes to taking care of their health. A recent Gallup survey found four in 10 Americans with health insurance have put off medical care because of rising costs. Well, here to explain more about what's happening to America's health care system is Katie Tolento. She's executive director of the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries. Katie, it's good to talk with you again. So many Americans would say the health care system is broken. So what's the biggest reason that people are finding it more difficult to afford and obtain quality treatment now? 
Well, I think it's broken for us, but it's working exactly as designed for the healthcare industry, who it benefits quite perfectly. So I do think that how it's designed is to maintain secret prices, secret contracts between all these actors in the healthcare industry, whether it's giant corporate hospital systems that are pretending to be charities for the IRS, or um, shady middlemen in the drug supply chain called pharmacy benefit managers who refuse to show anybody their uh, compensation and their funding streams and their their prices um, and the kickbacks that they receive from drug manufacturers. Or maybe it's the, um, the private equity doctor practices that are surprise billing everybody after you go to the ER or your anesthesiologist who charges you for your surgery turns out to be out of network, even though your surgery was at an in-network hospital. I mean, ultimately, this comes down to simply price transparency. In every industry except healthcare, we know the price in advance. And if you don't, you're not allowed to charge under the Uniform Commercial Code more than fair market rate. Well, it seems like people have to wait forever now just to get an appointment to see a doctor, schedule surgeries, other procedures, tests. So why is that? Is there a shortage of healthcare workers? If so, why? Well, I think part of the reason is that we fired a bunch of them when they didn't want to get vaccinated during COVID. So there's that. Um, there is a real shortage of nursing staff for for largely that reason, but also nurses are underpaid. Um, and that limits how many patients can be seen in a physician practice because they often depend on nurses to kind of keep the trains running um, and keep the patients flowing. Um, but also, you know, fewer and fewer people are going into medicine. I think that um, young people are starting to be disillusioned. I know that for people of faith, uh, it's a real problem to protect your own conscience rights during the medical education process. So it's it's illegal in some states to get out of medical school without having to participate in or learn how to perform an abortion. Um, so these are reasons why a lot of people are no longer going into medicine. I think they're starting to see the corruption of it. You hear about horrible burnout rates and even high suicide rates among physicians who, you know, are stuck in this big corporate machine that they never imagined when they were first wanting to help people and go to medical school. It's just not a pleasant industry to be in. Um, you kind of feel like you're in a giant bureaucracy and you're not really able to help people. And, and more and more, you're at the whim of corporate and capitalist and sort of greedy, um, to use that word, interests that are dictating clinical decisions and interfering in the exam room. And I think that, you know, more and more people of good integrity, they don't want to be part of that system and for good reason. Well, you probably watch the presidential candidates closely. Uh, who, in your opinion right now, is proposing the best health care plan? Well, none of them are really proposing a lot of health care plans. I think that especially Republicans have always viewed health care as a losing issue for them because I think they think that, well, the Democrats are offering everything for free and we can't offer that. And so we don't want to come in and just offer, you know, less than them. Um, so we'll just say nothing about health care, which I think is a huge mistake. But I will say there is an exception and that's President Trump. You know, he um, he came out and talked about an initiative on chronic disease and children's health, which I think is the most underreported story of a generation, is how sick our children are. More than half of all children have a chronic disease. This is 
totally un unprecedented and it's due to many factors but he has come out with an initiative around that and around studying the causes of it and especially studying some of the regulatory causes of it i mean we're seeing more and more products being approved by the fda without good research on their effects in children and they're being prescribed off label to children whether it's the entire vaccine schedule which does not have very good safety data um, no placebo controlled trials for almost all of the vaccines or whether it's it's, um, you know, obesity drugs that are being approved and recommended for children. Um, and more and more, we're seeing kids who are really being poisoned by our, in, you know, processed food supply. Um, and, and there are additives and chemicals in our food supply that are not permitted in any other country in the world that are permitted here because of political influence of the giant corporate food industry. So I do think that President Trump is talking about that. That's exciting. He also has a record on this issue when it comes to taking on drug pricing, taking on price transparency that I was talking about earlier. So, you know, he he has some record. I know that Governor DeSantis definitely has a great record on COVID in Florida, um, where he took on some of these, you know, really corrupt public health interests and regulatory interests as well. Um, but the other candidates I haven't really heard much from on this issue. Okay, we'll see what they have to say in the months and weeks ahead. Katie Toleno, the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries, thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it, Katie. My pleasure. Thank you. For this Veterans Day, we on the Global Lane want to thank all who fought and served to keep our country free. For those still alive who valiantly defeated Nazism and Japanese imperialism, thank you. You truly are the greatest generation. And for those who fought in Korea, I know you feel like it is the forgotten war, but we have not forgotten. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you endured. No, it was not a police action. It was war. And for my generation, the Vietnam veterans, that war deeply divided our nation. 30 years ago, I had the honor of visiting the Hanoi Hilton, where our POWs were imprisoned. I can't imagine what they went through. But they survived. Many who fought there never returned to their families. For the rest of you, welcome home. More recently, there's Desert Storm. Some veterans still suffer from Desert Storm illness, a crippling and devastating physical health consequence of that war. Others sacrificed their lives and limbs to defeat Saddam Hussein in Iraqi freedom and the fight against Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Your nation is grateful for your service. On this Veterans Day, remember to thank a veteran. They've paid a hefty price for our freedom. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Happy Veterans Day. Be blessed.